Welcome, everyone. I'm excited about today. Why? Because the Lions will beat the Vikings, because we're on our way to the Super Bowl, just like every year. I got a couple people by faith and got the realists sitting on this side, so it's all good. Uh, I've been looking forward to today uh, because today I, I get to have uh, someone special speak to this congregation, and the person's special for two reasons. Uh, it's not first of all, but I'm going to make it first of all today. Um, we are an Assemblies of God church, which means that we are part of a fellowship of literally thousands of churches around the nation and around the world. And uh, the way that the Assemblies of God is organized, we're not a denomination uh, because it's not like top-down authority. Um, we have a relationship with one another where we're united by doctrine. But we get to have basically our own expression here at K-First, and it's going to be different from the other assembly churches. And so we've got somebody that oversees our nation, and then we've got people that oversee basically the states. And so today we get our superintendent over the Michigan Ministry Network here at K-First. He oversees every Assembly of God church here in Michigan. In fact, when he got the position, uh, one of my groomsmen texted him and said, how much authority do you really have over Dave Berenger? Because I've got some requests. Now... When he got voted in about a year and a half-ish ago, uh, part of the thrill of watching him rise into a position that I think he was born and, and bred to do is um, this man is my best friend and has been for a number of years. Uh, I will talk to people about what I call the survival group of three. And what that means is when you go out into the wild, into a survival situation, if you're going to ever do that, you're supposed to find three people. Three people that you will say, here's where I'm going, here's what I'm doing, here's when I'm coming back. And when you get back, you call those three people because if you don't give them a call, those three people will call your cell and the authorities to go find you. So it's always good to have a survival group of three. And so when I think of navigating life, you don't need a lot of friends, but you do need a survival group of three. Three people that you can call when you're trying to survive life. And the gentleman that is going to preach today has been one of my three for as long as I can remember. Um, when, I was, when I've hurt the most in ministry, this was my first phone call. When I needed to celebrate something in ministry, he's my first phone call. When I've said something stupid from the pulpit, he's my first phone call. We have spent a lot of years together in ministry. We have cried together in prayer. We've also cried together watching Les Miserables while our wives mocked us the entire time. Um, but I love the fact that he has not just been a great pastor um, in the Detroit area, but now he gets to pastor pastors all over the state of Michigan. And it is my honor to introduce to you my best friend and this morning's guest speaker. Would you give a standing ovation? Okay, first welcome to Aaron Halavin. Love you, love you, love you, love you. Thank you very much. The sad part is I don't even know Dave. And so all of that was just made up. He just met me last week and invited me to come. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. I would say the same thing about your pastor. Dave is one of my group of three. He's one of my, he is my best friend. He's been one of the greatest confidants to me. I've equally said some stupid things from the pulpit and uh, certainly have enjoyed living life, but not just with Dave. Uh, our wives are friends. Our families are friends. Uh, it's just been wonderful to live life alongside the Behringer family and 
And you're blessed. How many love your pastors? Come on now. You need to love your pastors. I won't tell you any stories other than when we were at the church youth pastoring and Dave uh, had a, a confetti canister about ready to go off right at New Year's for a New Year's party and the confetti canister, which has a big punch to it, had tipped over and I was standing this far from it when it went three, two, one and he pulled it and it shot me in the head and knocked me uh, a little bit dizzy. I won't tell you about those stories that Dave has physically caused me harm over the years, but uh, he almost burnt our church down before our brand new first service. I mean, I, I, there's more to go. If you want to meet me in the foyer afterwards, I'll give you all that you want to know. I think Dave knows more about my life outside of my family than anybody and vice versa. Dave, I love you. Thanks for being my best friend. Thanks for being a support and thanks for the invite today. Uh, I just want to, this isn't in my notes, so I'm not going to wander too far, Dave, don't worry. But um, I think the kingdom of God and the church as a whole is in a really critical season of, of evaluating itself. I think we've become comfortable in faith through familiarity instead of convicted by our faith through experience in him. I think somewhere along the way, church became what we did instead of who we were and how we lived and how we walked. I think somewhere along the way, the experience of the kingdom became more important than experiencing the Holy Spirit each and every day. Across our state, pastors are feeling the weight of that. There's a hunger brewing in the pastoral leadership that says, I want to experience the fullness of what God has. How many know during that last season, I don't even like to say the word, but the last COVID season, there was this real sense that occurred that we could do away with some of the stuff we thought was important, and it was really just give me a centering on the presence of Him. You know, the Holy Spirit reminded us that we were the church wherever we were. And the Holy Spirit wants to do something amazing in us. And I, I think we've overcomplicated things. You know, I, I remember in the book of Ruth, I shared this at a pastor's conference. Pastor Dave, I don't know if you shared this at all with your church, but if you heard it before, please let me repeat it. Chapter 1 of the book of Ruth is a terrible, no good for nothing, awful chapter. People are dying. There's a famine. Uh, Naomi thinks she's a dead dog. She's a terrible human. You know, she just, life is over. If you read chapter 1, how many know that is not where you go on a rainy, sad day? Unless you look at the last sentence of chapter 1. In the midst of depression, discouragement, dismay, death, everything falling apart. The last sentence of chapter 1 says, but it was har barley harvest season. And if you understand chapter 2, 3, and 4, the barley harvest is what leads to Ruth redeeming the whole family line of Naomi, who at this point through chapter 1 is in trouble. In fact, it even moves on to King David, from King David to Jesus. It creates the family lineage that leads to the Messiah. And I say this at the beginning of this message for this simple reason, just because during worship I felt this was on my heart. You might be in a no-good-for-nothing chapter 1 season of life. But what if harvest is growing around you and you have no clue? 
What if in the midst of your walking and you're saying, I am nothing more than a dead dog. I can barely survive. Nothing is going right. I'm defeated. I'm discouraged. You are walking into the destiny of God and have no idea that he's about to redeem everything. And you know why? how I think, come on, a couple of you are over here. This is the Lion fans, so they're just in deception. So you're thinking this is good. I, I love good amens. I'm, I, I just love that. But let me just say this to you. I think in the kingdom of God, the way we get back to recognizing harvest barley seasons, and that's what I'm declaring over K first, you're about to go into a season of harvest. Because you've come out of a season that everyone's come through in your own unique seasons, and I just believe God wants to do something great. He's not in the business of sitting on a couch somewhere doing nothing, just saying, as long as you feel good about me, it's okay. He has a plan for the world, to redeem the world, to save those who do not know him, to restore those who are away from him, to call the prodigals back home. Come on, parents and grandparents. He's got a plan. He is not idle. He's not taking a break. He hasn't disappeared. You know, when we say the Holy Spirit really showed up, that's terrible theology. You know why that's terrible theology? Is because that the, the premise of that is that he is absent at times. He is not. When we have those Holy Spirit encounters, we really should say we stepped into what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And by the way, he always wants to do. And so your, oh, this is going to be tough. Pastor Dave, this isn't even my message, so... Your relationship with God is exactly where you want it to be. I think this is for someone here specific today. That where you're at and you're sitting there saying, God, motivate me. God, do something. God, make me whole. I think the Lord's saying to you, I am always here. I am always open. I am always ready. Walk towards me. I'm here. And as you walk as feeling like the dead dog of Naomi, he looks at you and says, hey, by the way, it's barley harvest season. And something new begins to be. So I just wanted to open with that and also say, how many say, good, just be done. Lord bless us, thank you, have a great day, you know. But let me just say this to you. Part of the way I think we're going to get back to the basic dependence on God is to get back to the basic understanding of Scripture. Uh, let me say this to you. Uh, today is intended to be a message that levels the playing field because I think we've overcomplicated certain parts of faith. How many know that I, I was doing this in the summer, I would talk about an ice cream cone, but how many know there's nothing better than a s'more in the fall? Or hot apple cider with fresh cider, or, uh, cider mill donuts, come on. I mean the sugar ones, the unhealthy ones, the one that gives you diabetes but you pray the calories out. I'm talking like a dozen of them, each person. How many know what I'm saying? And then you go back for seconds. <laughs> There's, there's something comforting about something so simple as smashing graham crackers together with chocolate. And by the way, you don't do one sliver of chocolate. You do half a chocolate bar. Come on, people. Some of you are too skimpy on your chocolate. Let's step up the game. So two pieces of chocolate. Okay, now you got an addiction over here. But, and, then, and then my daughters use two marshmallows. That's, oh, that's where we were going. Two marshmallows. So... So you put that, it's so simple, it's not complicated, but isn't there something amazing at sitting at a campfire eating a s'more? It's something that brings something peaceful, and it's not complicated. You don't need a recipe, if you do need a recipe for s'mores, well, we have a counseling center for you. <laughs> it's really simple. 
And I, I learned something growing up in the church. Uh, Pastor Dave and Ann both grew up in, in church. And uh, we had kind of in the 80s, how many remember who grew up in the 80s and late 90s, early 90s, late 80s, how we sort of scared everybody into faith? You ever watch Mark of the Beast movie? You know, I was a, a kid, uh, my dad was a pastor, and I snuck in the back of the adult auditorium while they were showing Mark of the Beast as like a seven-year-old, and I had nightmares the rest of my life. I still have them, okay? We, we had this idea, and we started to teach a concept of evangelism that was, you got to go through a class, and hear me, if you have an evangelism class, that's all good, we need to think these things through. But we started to program basic parts of faith. Think about that for a second. We started saying, when you run into someone, make sure you say these scriptures. Make sure you do it this way. Make sure you say it at this time. Make sure you don't say this. Understand, how many know when someone first gets saved, the worst person to talk to about winning their friends to the Lord is another Christian? Do you know why? How many times have you heard this? I'm going to go win all my family and friends to Jesus. And what do Christians say? Well, slow down. They may not like the message. You better go slow. Don't go in. What if we just let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting? What if, you know, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, the early church did not have any caution signs. When people got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, do you know what they did? They went and told people, you got to experience what I experienced. And the church grew. And somewhere along the way, we've sort of made our lives feel like a comparative scale towards those around us who we believe are better experts at something. So, for example, at my church, uh, people would say things like this. If I can just get my friends and family to church, Pastor Aaron, you'll win them to Jesus. And that grieved me. Yes, we want him to come to church. Yes, we want him to experience Jesus. Yes, Pastor Dave can preach great messages that would help with that. But how many know the goal of evangelizing the world is not you bringing them to a building. It's you being a light where you're at. When people come to the church, they come because of what they might be experiencing in your workplace through you. The book of Acts is the history of the church. Dramatic, massive, awesome things are happening. Thousands of people are getting saved. Life is changing at a rapid pace. The church is expanding. New people are called to ministry. And yet in the midst of this dramatic historical thing, as we read it, I think two things happen. We get really in awe of what God really did through ordinary messed up people. And then somewhere in the stories, we sort of decide we're not as good as those people. How many, how many are grateful the Bible doesn't sanitize the saints? Can I tell you, the Apostle Peter, for all the great things he did, was really, really an idiot a few times. How many know the Apostle Paul was an awful human being? A religious awful human being, but religious and awful nonetheless. The, the Bible was not giving these stories for us to look at and say, I've got to be like the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter. Not at all. The Bible gives the stories of the church as a history to show us that ordinary people like you and I can have a major impact on the history of the world. And in the middle of this massive historic book, six verses pop up. We're going to cover them today. 
about a lady named Tabitha. You may also know her as Dorcas. That's her Greek name, but how many know if your name is Dorcas, you go by Tabitha? If there's a Dorcas in this room, I apologize. Tabitha appears in the midst of the history, and I believe, this is my opinion, I believe the Lord wanted this in the Bible to level the playing field for all of us normal people, including myself. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. She's part of the church there in Joppa. She was always, everyone say always, always doing good and helping the poor. She is a pillar in the church in Joppa. She is loved and adored by people because of what she does and how she loves them. Not just for what she does, but how she loves them. And we get his brief introduction, one verse, hey, she's always doing good. And then the next verse is devastating, verse 37. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. It's like, hello, goodbye, two verses, and you get this incredible understanding. I want you to get this. The church is devastated by this news. I mean, this is not just like, like, you know, a little bit of info, like, oh, man, that's terrible. This is like gut-wrenching destruction in people's hearts, devastation over the loss of this amazing person. I'll tell you why in a few moments. Camped outside of town about 10 miles away in Lydda is the Apostle Peter. And they send two people to go get the Apostle Peter, and he comes back. How do we know? Acts 9.38. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter gets the invitation, and Peter shows up at the house. Now, I believe that the apostle Peter may have known of Tabitha. They were invited to places all the time and didn't respond. But I believe that something about the situation about that church or maybe her own leadership stirred something by the Holy Spirit in Peter that he needed to go and be there. But I don't want you to miss what's happening. When he shows up at the house, he is not arriving to be the hero. He's showing up to a grieving, devastated group of people, a specific group uh, in particular, verse 39. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows, now we know who the poor was that she was always helping. The widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothes that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter, as, as he walks up every stair to the upper room, he hears the voices of people grieving. When he walks in the room, it's a dramatic scene. The ladies there, the widows there, the poor that Tabitha was always helping are demonstrating in tangible ways the emotional love that Tabitha had given to them. And Peter realizes the impact of her life. Here, here's what I've learned, church. Let me just say this. If you want to have people grieve you in your death, you have to live a life like her. You know, uh, the reality is, is that Tabitha had made such an impact that, that she left a legacy of caring and loving, sacrificially focused on other people. 
I think for most of us, sometimes we struggle between the balance of being self-centered and selfless. Let's just be real. Come on. In America, we're all a little more selfish than we'd like to admit. I mean, when my, grand, when my father-in-law comes over for Thanksgiving and he sits in my recliner, we have a problem. And as much as I joke and I don't really care, I do care. By the way, the Lions are going to go 10-7 and 7 and make the playoffs this year, just for the record. Thanksgiving got jogged my memory. The reality is, is that we have a lot of things. Like, for example, come on, church people. If I sat in the seat that you normally sit in on a Sunday morning, how do you feel? Yeah. Because we all tend to sit in the same area, claim our area, and you know what we don't often do? We don't claim the area, the people who are in our area like we should. But we claim a chair. Come on. Let's just be real. Some of you are with me. Some of you are like, okay, when's this end? Tabitha doesn't live a life that says it's focused on me. Tabitha lives a life that says it's focused on everyone else. And I, I think we have a culture shift that needs to occur in the church. The culture that we have developed over the years of the organized church is this, is that the pastors do all the care for the body. Can I just tell you, biblically in the book of Acts, pastors had authority to make sure things were occurring in leadership, but do you know whose job in the early church it was to care? It was everybody cared for somebody. Everybody in the church was looking out for somebody in their community and within the church. It wasn't just to each other. It was to everyone around them. It wasn't a, hey, Apostle Peter, you know, we need you to make sure you go pay a visit to my neighbor. No, it was they paid a visit to their neighbor and then brought their neighbor to introduce them to the Apostle Peter. It was a whole different approach than oftentimes we see today. I remember when my daughter, she was eight years old, we moved into a new neighborhood, built a house. Uh, it was one of those things right after 2008 where everybody got into buildings real cheap. And so we all, uh, we were the oldest people. I was 33. Most of the families that moved in were in their mid-20s, just had young babies, and were heavily into partying. You know, it's like a frat house uh, neighborhood. And they would have these wild parties, and my wife and I don't participate in the things that were being done there. And uh, we came home one day, and so we would take our two girls out to dinner. We thought we were being very mature and keeping them away from an unhealthy environment because you were taught in the 80s and 90s that you never hang around with a sinner. Come on, church people. And so what happened was, is, and, and by the way, uh, we either believe that today or we have to start believing the Bible, that the Bible says, greater is he that's in me than he that's within the world, that he goes before me, surrounds me. And by the way, you can hang out with a sinner and not sin. It's your choice. It's not like you're a victim to sin and it rules you. Okay? When you sin, it's not because the devil tempted you. It's because you gave in to the temptation. Sin is not the temptation. Sin is the giving in to the temptation. Come on. And so, look, can I say this, church? I'm, boy, I'm preaching, Pastor Dave. I'm sorry, but can I just tell you, the days of saying and acting like the victim to sin are over. You chose it. You walked into it. Now there are victims around you, and you're part of that. But it's time for us to start taking ownership of our spiritual journeys again. Okay? 
So we're standing there, and my eight-year-old looks at me, and she says, Dad, why weren't we invited to the party? And I said, and this is, this is what shifted my whole life. And I said, well, honey, we don't do the things they do. And she said, well, Dad, how in the world are we going to ever win them to Jesus if they don't even know our names? From that moment on, my wife and I decided to reach our entire neighborhood. You have to understand, I came home one day with our church van because it needed an oil change. There were, there were just about uh, six houses built early days. It grew to about 100 homes, but it was about six in the early days. We were one of the original six. And five guys, the dads of the house, the men of the houses, were sitting on their driveway, and they were having a conversation of how they hate assemblies of God pastors because of some abuses they've seen by the way they handled things at the altar. And I'm standing in my driveway next to Freedom Christian Assembly of God van. I said, how are we going to answer the call to reach our neighbors if they, don't, they already have a stereotype about me? So I just decided to become Aaron. So I joined the Fantasy Football League in my neighborhood. And when we came to the first meeting, they were all there. And, and I told my church, by the way, my neighborhood posts everything. You need to know, if you see pictures of me in wild environments, I'm keeping my morals and my values, but I'm going to win my neighborhood to Jesus. And if you don't have a, like having a pastor who's out there doing what he asked you to do, then you need to find a different church church because my call is the same as yours to reach people for Jesus so I went to this first fantasy football draft and they were like hey you want this drink you want that drink and I said no I'll just drink my diet Pepsi do you know what happened they started to think I was a recovering alcoholic and the respect for me grew all of a sudden the whole room gets quiet and all the guys are like good for you by the end of fantasy football season two, they had a cooler of Diet Pepsi, and the new guy would come in, and he'd be like, hey, guys, I wasn't part of the league, new to the neighborhood. What's going on? Hey, man, can I get you a beer? And before he would say anything, the whole group would go, no, no, no. This cooler is for him. And the new guy would go, I'm proud of you, man. <laughs> Jamie says, did you ever correct him? I said, just let him think whatever they want. I don't care. And I started hanging out with my neighbors on the back driveway, having conversations until the day when a man looked at me and said, my daughter has nightmares and I don't know how to talk to her. And I said, have you ever prayed with your daughter? He says, I don't know how to pray. We're there, there's a party happening, and I'm at a table teaching a dad how to pray with his daughter. And he went upstairs the next day. That night she had a nightmare. He called me the next day. He says, Aaron, I prayed with my daughter last night, and she slept well. He said, why did that work? I said, let's sit on the back deck. And he says, I'll grill you chicken. It was great. He made all the food all summer, steaks, chicken. I didn't, it was so cheap. Listen, evangelism can save you money. It's amazing. It was astonishing. We ate better that summer than I've ever eaten in my entire life, and I paid nothing for it. It was great. And we started becoming friends until one day he started to see the evidence of things working that he invited himself to church. See, we started to realize, my wife and I, that Tabitha exists in the scriptures of Acts, the growth of the church, because of what she did for people. The clothes that she is showing, that widows are showing, didn't just mean they had clothes. It meant warmth. It meant dignity. The poorest of the poor in that culture often were widows. This gave them an identity that they were still part of society. It blessed them in ways they couldn't afford. 
It built their self-esteem, reestablished their value. When you wear rags, you feel like rags. I think it meant hope. I think they felt beautiful. I think they felt loved. I think it was all because of what Tabitha did. They, she let them know your situation wasn't hopeless. Hey, it could be barley harvest time for you. And when these widows are showing the apostle Peter these clothes, they're showing him something that is powerful. And I have three truths and we're going to wrap up. And by the way, when a pastor says he's closing, he's not lying. He's just giving you hope that he knows that it has to end at some point. So I'm going to hit these real quick though. Listen, what Tabitha did was ordinarily simple. And this should level the playing field for everybody. You don't have to be a communicator like Pastor Dave or literally the sweetest, nicest human being on earth and Anne. Come on. Anne, one of the shortest people I've ever been around. But um, yeah, I was standing next to her during worship and I thought, if I trip, she's going to die. <laughs> I know, it's so terrible. I'm like, Lord, I love you. Please don't let me trip and kill Anne. I just don't want that to happen. Listen, I, never mind. Anyway, she lived a very ordinary existence. What she did was common. All she did was do what she knew to do. Let me speak to all of us in this room and online. Greatness is not achieved in a moment very often. Very seldom do you run out of here and rescue someone from a car that's on fire or pull someone from water that's drowning or rescue someone who's having a heart attack. Those are great moments and those are great things. But do you know what greatness is? It's goodness compounded over time. People who are good for long periods of time become great in the minds of people they interact with. That's what Tabitha was in the business of doing. She was simply doing good things. I want you to know if you ask Tabitha, what do you do, Tabitha, in the morning? She would say, I sew. What do you do in the afternoon? I sew. What do you do in the evening? I sew. And in most churches, the idea that someone sews is not an evangelism strategy, but for Tabitha, it was her entire strategy. She recognized that God made her, listen, we are made in the image of God, both male and female. We are in the creative image of God. By the way, the kingdom of God should absolutely be the most creative space of all time because we serve the greatest creator of all time. So it, it baffles me sometimes why our churches oftentimes are the least creative places in the world seems to corner on creativity. And I think part of the reason is, is that we don't see the value of our individual giftings in, in the workplace in the same way we do in the kingdom. Listen, some of you might be really good at fixing cars. Don't just decide you're really good at fixing cars. What if that's part of the strategy God wants to use to impact people? Some of you are really good at scrapbooking. Some of you are really good at baking. Some of you are really good at putting two marshmallows on a s'more. I'm telling you, there might be things. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. Some of you made a back deck on your house that is gorgeous and you selfishly have used it all these years when you're really good at hospitality and could invite all your neighbors to come over and enjoy it with you. Some of you are just nice. 
By the way, Christians, I don't understand. Grumpy Christians? There's a lot of reasons people don't come to know Christ. Please don't be one of them. Listen, what if you're just gifted with the ability to talk to people? You may not know this, but that's one of my strengths. Do you know what I learned during COVID? One of my greatest gifts was? I'm tall. Remember when the shelves were bare and they were putting things on top shelves? Do you know how many short people there are in the world? I mean, I would have been Ann Behringer's best help at a grocery store. But, but listen, I started walking through the store and I started helping people get things off the top shelves when they couldn't reach. And I remember one lady says, oh, you remind me of my son. And I said, oh, I'm sure he's very handsome and likable. Her reply was, he was. Found out her son had died in a car accident. Drunk driver drove across the road, hit her son. She used to go to church. She's not been back to church because she was mad at God because she thought God took her son. And we had a wonderful conversation. And in a grocery store, because I was tall, she recommitted her life to Christ. Listen, I'm telling you, we sometimes undervalue what God made us to be because we've taught evangelism by what we've seen others do. There's something amazing about Tabitha. It wasn't rocket science. What do you do? I sow. What do you do with what you sow? I give it away. Who do you give it to? The ones in need. And look what God did. What she did was just do with what she was made to be. Whatever that is for you, if you're good at financial numbers, if you're good at strategy, if you're good at creative thinking, if you're good at conversation, whatever it is, do not just look at it as a gift. Look at it as an opportunity for God to use that gift to impact people around you. This is why I believe Tabitha shows up in the history of the church. Number two, she was consistent. It's not just that she knew who she was and what she was gifted with. She showed up time and time again. Remember in verse 36, she was always doing good. She took her life and she was always giving it in the service of other people. I've learned something. Inconsistency creates boredom. And I think there's a lot of bored Christians in America you're bored. You go to church, but you don't necessarily experience what God wants for you because we're inconsistent in the way that we spend time with God or the way that God and I understand our life journey. So in this current season, uh, or in this season of life, after my daughter's conversation, I started going to the five, same five restaurants every time I went out to eat. I went into the bank so I would actually have to interact with someone because I got tired of hanging around Christians all the time. That's what I was as a pastor. That's all I did. I started hanging out at the same places, and one by one, they started coming to church, started experiencing questions about faith. Why? Because I got to know them. And my philosophy is I'll know their name, they'll know my name, and someday they'll know his name. That's my whole evangelism strategy. I want to know about you. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know your history. I want to know who you are. Then at some point, I get to share a little bit about who I am. And someday, in that moment of my serving, interacting, being relational, I'm going to get the opportunity to introduce them to him. And that doesn't have to happen inside a church wall. That happens wherever you go. The third thing Tabitha did she was, she was humble. Not only was she ordinarily using her everyday gifts, and she did so with consistency, she did so with humility. 
Humility is the choice to forego who you are and what you possess to deploy that in the lives of other people. She holds her life and power and experience and resources in the service of other people. And the truth is, I want to be like Tabitha. How about you? Listen to Acts chapter 9, verse 40. This is so amazing. Peter, verse 40, Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. And I want you to know something. Verse 41, he took her by the hand. I want you to see this. I think this is symbolic. For years, Tabitha had been taking people by the hand and lifting them up. Look at, the, look at what God does through the Apostle Peter. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for all the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them. When my daughter heard this message, uh, this text years ago, she said to me, Dad, if I was Tabitha, I'd be really mad. You know, I'm going to go get to experience eternity, and next thing I know, i got to come back and keep sewing. Tabitha is one of maybe 10 recorded resurrections in all of Scripture. You look at it and you go, wait a minute, I thought people were getting raised from the dead all the time. Well, it may have been happening, but in the Bible, there wasn't a ton of them recorded. Of course, Jesus, and we know of Lazarus, and Jairus, his uh, daughter. We know the widow carrying her son on a stretcher. We know the uh, kids that were restored to their parents through Elijah and Elisha. We know the guy who fell out of the window because they were preaching too long, and God said, hey, that's on me. I let this guy preach too long. We're going <laughs> to raise Eutychus from the... That was terrible, but it's true. But I want you to understand something. Tabitha, all those people were restored to their family. Even the boy who fell out a window was restored to his father. All of the resurrections, Jesus to the father and everybody else was restored to their family. Tabitha was restored to her spiritual family. It wasn't her biological family like all the other resurrections in scripture. She's restored to her spiritual family. And it's this precious moment, and they celebrate. And watch the result, Acts 9.42. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. My challenge to you today is to be the example of a few people, and I'll close with this. Jim Winand, who attended our church and, and still attends the church that I used to pastor, he was a mechanic, and in our neighborhood, if I drove by his house, every time I drove by his house, there was somebody there's car he was fixing. And I said, Jim, you're a retired mechanic. Why do you do this? And he said, I do this so I can be in relationship with people. And I watched Jim start bringing people to Jesus over the course of time. We had another man, loves fishing, loves fishing, named George. George decided he was going to go out and he was going to fish and he was going to start bringing people with him. And all of a sudden, I remember in one service, there were three men in our congregation who had given their life to Jesus Christ because they spent hours out on a boat fishing, doing something George loved. And he brought other people who loved it alongside with him and people came to know Christ. I, I watched a girl in high school 
decide that she wasn't real talented at a lot of things, but she was really gifted at relationships. So she started a Bible club, and I remember it took a while for it to grow. It was like chapter one of Joe, of, of Ruth. And, and all of a sudden, one day, the football team showed up, and they said, we like her so much, and we need prayer not to win. We wouldn't let them pray to win, although I'm, with my Spartans, I'm going to start praying that way from now on. But the reality is, is that they came, and they came because there was a young lady in a school who had a personality that she used for the glory of God. And I started to watch people come to know Christ, and at Freedom Christian, where I pastored, people were getting saved left and right, and part of the reason why is we destigmatized evangelism and said, God anointed you, God called you, God gifted you, you are uniquely made. He's put you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your community, around the people you're around for a purpose and a reason. Stop thinking the church building is the answer and start realizing you are the called person from the Holy Spirit. People will come to a church that is evangelizing and reaching the community. People will get excited. Your faith will grow. And I'll tell you, when you start growing at a rapid rate with a whole bunch of new converts, your whole church changes. I had people doing things that you would never want done in a church. And I had religious people angry because people who were getting saved didn't know better, like you can't smoke in the sanctuary. You can't show up drunk to one of our outreaches wearing our shirt and tell everybody how good Jesus is. How many of you know? There were some problems. We had a lady dressed in a wedding dress who had written names all over herself who God had freed from, from addiction but had mental illness, but God had to bring her through a resurrected story of restoration in her life. I'll tell you, Stephen and Heather were a part of our church for a season. Am I telling the truth about our church? That is what freedom was. It was a place that won people to Jesus on a regular basis. I'm not making this up. I've seen it. I've seen it when a congregation said, you know what? I'm anointed and called like her. So my challenge to Kay first is be Tabitha in your environment. Whatever that looks like, whoever you're around, if you go to a restaurant and you're going to tell someone you're a Christian, please tip well. No, I'm serious. Don't make my job harder. I'll tell you one last story. And then, Pastor Dave, I'll turn it over to you. I know I'm a couple minutes, five minutes, I'm over. Let me say this. I went to a Coney Island with my family on a Wednesday night. We were in a hurry to get to church because I had a responsibility. So did my wife, and we were in a hurry. We were at a, a Coney Island, and I said to my family, I feel like the Lord wants to talk me to talk to this server about Jesus. And, and my wife, I'm not throwing them under the bus. They couldn't be here today, but they told me I could share the story. They said, we're in a hurry. We got to go. I said, we do got to go. You're right. I don't have time. Maybe I was just feeling. And, and, and so we left. Two days later, I don't know why we were back at the same Coney Island, but we were. And when I came in, we found out that night she had died in a car accident. And I made the commitment that moment in life that I would never, ever again ignore the leadings of the Holy Spirit in my life for someone else. I pray that God got through to her some way beyond myself, but I will tell you, when my God speaks, we have got to do. When my kids were little, they would say, we'd say, hey, go do this. I heard you. Then why aren't you doing it? Well, I heard you. So my wife came up with this great phrase, listen and do. 
Can I just encourage you believers? It's that simple. When the Holy Spirit speaks, listen and do. Whatever God's made you, listen and do. Because I believe barley harvest is what God wants. And the church is at a critical point where we're going to get back to biblical understandings of the working of the Holy Spirit every single day in our lives. So, Lord, I just pray for this church. I pray for a move of your Holy Spirit like they have never experienced in their personal, everyday lives. God, we want your presence in these services, and we want your presence in what we do. But God, more than anything, be with us and let us sense and listen and do to what you tell us each and every day. So tomorrow when we go to work, God, let us walk into that place feeling called by you and look for the opportunities to be who you've asked us to be. We don't have to be preachy. We don't have to have all the, the right answers. What we have to do is follow your lead. And so, God, I pray for the prodigals. In fact, if you're in this room and you have a, a prodigal, a, a child, a grandchild who's away from the Lord, would you just lift your hand? Bunch of hands. I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for those prodigals. Would you join me, church? I pray that those sons and daughters and grandchildren who are away from you, that God, you'd send a Tabitha to their life. That you'd have someone come alongside who shows up with consistency and humility, who does ordinary things in an exceptional way that reaches to their hearts. God, I pray that you would do what no one else can do, but you'd surround them with Tabithas. For a husband or wife who are here and their spouse is not serving the Lord, God, I pray for the same thing. Send other Tabithas in the form of men and women who come alongside their life and bring encouragement. Holy Spirit, I pray that we all do this. I pray that for me, that on my ride home today at the gas station, I will have to stop at God. Let me be able to have a conversation with somebody that brings them closer to you. Turn that loose in this church and let barley harvest season come. In your name we pray. Amen. Pastor Dave.